0: Coming to you from New York City, this week and every week, it's the Ben Kissel Show. Alright, welcome to the Ben Kissel Show, everyone. I'm Ben Kissel. Uh, with me, as always, Mike Coscarelli. Thanks for being here, Mike. Hello, sir. Today's guest, he's from MTV's Guy Code. He's always be- hes always given sexual advice to 12-year-old girls. Monroe
1: Martin. <laughs> That's what
0: that show is. Guy Code is all about giving sexual advice to preteens. And no one does do it. it better. I don't Monroe.
1: do it. I'm like, yeah, I'm too old for that show. I realized right. that as I was doing it, I like doing it because who doesn't like getting paid? Right. But as I was doing it, I was like, I'm too old. Like I, I don't even tell my sister this stuff.
0: Right. Well, that's the whole yeah. thing about uh, MTV's Guy Code and Girl Code. Uh, I think they're on MTV Two. Uh, very, yeah. very successful shows. But the things that they're saying to the, they know the demographic yeah. is nothing but eleven year old girls in the Midwest. Sometimes
1: it's grown men too. It's grown ass men. I've What's had, creepier? I've had uh, grown men. Yo. Know, no. You from, you on Got right? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, yo, I love that show. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like 40.
0: Right. You're 40 years old. You look like a Harley Davidson uh, biker. <laughs> yeah. I don't think you're supposed to like the show. <laughs> Did you get any uh, creepy? I, I, I'm good friends with, obviously, Kevin Barnett, who uh, was a regular on that show quite often. Mm-hmm. And uh, once he aired, once he appeared on that show, he was getting quite a few messages from scantily clad ladies. And uh, you got to make sure they're above 18
1: oh, because yeah, you yeah, never yeah. know. I, get, I got a couple. I knew how to handle I When I was on Guy Code, I had a girlfriend anyway. Oh. So, mm. like, I just been like, if they reach out to me, I'm like, hey, thank you. Appreciate it. Keep supporting and stuff like that. I had a girl right. send me, like, uh, naked pictures. girl sent me a picture of her eye. It's just like a close-up of her eye. And I was like, all right, that's weird, but thank you. Uh, I appreciate it. I appreciate the eyeball pic.
0: Right, 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 right. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. You know, getting sent naked pictures, it's different for guys and girls. I get sent yeah. uh, a couple of nudes, well, you know, once every couple of months or so. And uh, it's fascinating because sometimes the ladies aren't exactly uh, attractive.
1: Yeah, you just say thank you. That's all you right. can do. Thank you for taking that time to send me a picture of your body. Right. <laughs> and you're like, good. It's very
0: nice of them. I mean, what yeah. can you? Yeah, there's no way. Um, there's there's no way that you should possibly. There's you, you don't want to be rude about it.
1: Yeah, you can't be rude about it. I, right. that's it. Just say thank you, and they ask for them back. They go, "If you got any," I'm like, "I'm on TV." No, right. like, of course not.
0: Right. We all, we've all learned from Brett Favre yeah. and from every other f- successful person, the Anthony <laughs> Wieners of the world, that sending mm-hmm. out pics of your body are solely going to be used to uh, embarrass you in the future.
1: Yes. it's was like, no, you'll never get any. I had a girl get angry because she sent me like three pictures and I just thanked her and I was like, oh, I appreciate it. And she was like, oh, you should send me some. And I was like, no, not at all. You reached out to me. I did not reach out to you. I'll never send you any pictures. <laughs> right
0: yeah and no one i mean nobody wants to see the the male body the male form mm-hmm. uh, when brought to the light which is really what these pictures um are when they get released mm-hmm. you know after after if a woman does look at it and is aroused whatever you know after you um Orgasm—the thing that you're looking at that just made you come—immediately uh, becomes disgusting. It's like when you look at those old pictures, isn't an elderly lady or a young girl? Uh-huh. You know those mind, um, <laughs> those mind-boggling pictures. And then as soon, so you're looking at it, and all you see is the young girl. But as soon as you come, you're like, "That's an elderly woman." You're like, ah! You start freaking <laughs> out. So now your dick would just be all over the internet, out of context. Everyone just is yeah. gonna think you're a monster. So
1: no, I'm not sending any pictures. You'll you'll be all right with looking at my Instagram, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> Although
0: I'm sure that you have a wonderful looking uh, package, and it would picture. I was perfectly. told I had
1: a pretty one, a pretty penis. That's weird. It's weird. Right. It's weird. I don't to know be told if, that.
0: Yeah, pretty. I don't necessarily. Pretty like is
1: like one color. It's not like uh, mm. it's not like creepy looking. Right. You know,
0: it's not Fifty Shades of Gray. Yeah. It's Just one <laughs> one solid color. One solid color. Pretty does know? make it seem like it has a bonnet. And it's it's going to picnic somewhere. Like, I
1: made her explain when I was like, pretty. She's like, no, no, not like that. Like, it's it's not ugly. It's very handsome looking penis. Handsome. See, I like that. I mean, that
0: makes it sound like it has a top hat and a small mustache. Just a handsome looking penis. (laughs) A
1: handsome penis.
0: (laughs) That's great. Um, So, the guy could experience it It was a very good experience for you, though, Mm -hmm. overall.
1: Yeah. Like, um, the way I looked at it, after the last comic, I, I was like, I need to be on something that's also like pretty popular, right? and I did uh, that, and they got me, they kept me, I think it kept me a little relevant, it keeps the people who enjoy me on Last Comic going, oh, it's still working, and it's trying to keep up that.
0: We've had so many comedians on this show from Last Comic Standing, and uh, their experiences are varied. You did very well on that show. Yeah. And how far did you go on Last Comic Standing?
1: I uh, went up to seventh. Seven. So yeah, I was the seventh person eliminated. And was and so that- out of a hundred and yeah, like a hundred and something. Yeah, so top ten, and then from the top ten, seventh. Right, and that's yeah. very.
0: That's a very good number.
1: I was on TV for the whole summer, so that's all I can ask for. That's you know? not bad. And how
0: <laughs> many uh, years into comedy were you when you got booked on Last Comic Standing?
1: Uh, so I've been doing comedy for nine, going on nine now. So like eight. Okay. Yeah.
0: So you had paid your dues and you, you felt like you deserved a break and you got it.
1: I didn't feel like I deserved anything. I was just happy to be there. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's how, like, that's what keeps me, like, excited about comedy because I don't deserve, I don't think I deserve anything. Right. I'm just very excited to be getting some sort of work and recognition yeah. for doing what I do, you know?
0: And that's the greatest thing about comedy. People who feel like they deserve a comedy career are often slapped in the face, and then they're like, but what, well, but yeah. I, you know? It's like, no, you don't deserve this, this is a luxury, this is this is a gift. I try
1: to, talk, I try to tell my friends that all the time, and they'll be like, how come somebody, do-? I was like, you don't deserve anything. No right. one deserves anything where we tell jokes for money. right? That's all we do. You don't deserve anything, if you get it, be happy. Right,
0: right, right, yeah. and that's the other counter effect. When people are, are counter counter side effect of a lot of the comedian ego, when they do get success, they're upset mm-hmm. about it, mm-hmm. or they're upset they didn't get the kind of success that they wanted, yeah. or they can't deal with the sex uh, with the success that they got.
1: I'm always terrified. Whenever I get something, I'm terrified because I'm like, uh, <laughs> here's a who, here's a here's another opportunity for me to bomb. That's how right. I get it. Like most people go, oh, this is an opportunity for you to showcase your moment, your talents. I'm like, I don't know, this can go terribly wrong. <laughs> when I was doing last comic, that's all that I kept, cause that's all that I kept in mind. I was just like, as long as I don't bomb, I'm a, I'll be all right. So I went up there and I just had fun, not bomb. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Monroe
0: Martin is a tall man. Thank God, there's not enough large people out there. We get the faux-fum, ho-hum treatment. We get called giants constantly. I'm yeah. foot six, uh, six foot seven. Minro, how tall are you? Six five. You're six five. You're a yeah. tall guy, and uh, and you grew up in Philadelphia as a large guy. Yes. When did you know that you wanted to do comedy? Because there's not a lot of us out there. There's
1: not a lot of tall comics out there. And no. people, people have ADD. They cannot focus on us not hitting our heads. That's all they look at. Whenever right. we're performing in like uh, low ceiling clubs they're like is he gonna hit his head like no i'm not gonna hit my head i've been doing this long enough to know i'm not gonna hit my head um
0: why do you think it's more i do think that there is something to the argument that it's a little bit more difficult for larger intimidating sized people to break through in comedy because the audience knows for a fact that we could probably pummel them mm -hmm. at any given time if we really truly uh decide to uh turn from bruce banner bannister Banner, Bruce, <laughs> Bruce Banner, in, into uh, the Incredible Hulk. So it's a little bit more difficult. Did you find that that made you? I know my personal experience. It sort of makes you have to soften your tone a little bit.
1: I don't know. Like it sounds. This sounds weird, and it's something I've always struggled with as a as a person. i besides my size, I've never been intimidating. Like I'm too right. approachable. Yeah, like I've been out with my, I've been out with like my friends, like Keith Robinson and all them, and we walk down the street, and people will approach me first. Drunk people will come up me first, very just like, "What's up?" And he's like, "Why are you coming to me? Like, shouldn't you be scared of me? I'm six five, 250. but this face, they're like, I can take
0: him. <laughs> Right, but then you're also the challenge. Yeah. You know, the, this person doesn't want to seem like a pussy, so he's going to go up to the largest guy in the group yeah. and aggressively confront him, and then you also happen to be the nicest one. Yeah,
1: I'm very nice. But, yeah, I'm I'm way too approachable. My friends get mad because we'll be out, and then people come up to me first. So that's something. It's just the face. I have a childish face. You have a beautiful face. Oh, thank you. Yeah, a
0: beautiful face. You thank grew you. up in Philadelphia. huh?
1: Yes, Philly.
0: And how was that experience?
1: I, I really like uh, living in Philly. I think the thing that made me move to New York, though, is Philly. For some reason, I believe has a small town mentality. So, in
0: what and how do you mean? That? Well,
1: they can. There's not that much room for growth mm. there, and people know it. So they get, they get very complacent, and they just accept that as happiness. So once you graduate, you get a city job, or you go to college. Uh, and once you graduate college, you still probably get a, a job with the city or something like that. You right. make, I want to say, like $60,000 a year, and you're content. You look good. Right. Well, I can, I can buy a place and then get a car. And that's what most people want. Right. I didn't want that. Because right. I'm like, that's too easy for me to get you yeah. know i'm like if everybody else is getting it that's way too easy for me to get so when i started doing comedy i was just doing it for fun and when i moved in new york i was like i can probably make a living out of it mm-hmm. and i and i started to
0: so uh i mean i think you're you're discussing something about um uh the idea of exceptionalism not wanting yeah. to be one of the masses you're right it i mean i felt the exact same way growing up in wisconsin if this dopey you know, dipshit that I don't like was able to buy a car, mm-hmm. anyone can do it. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. You have a nice house, you have a little bit of property, the money goes a mile. A dollar goes a mile yeah. in, in most places other than New York and Los Angeles. <laughs> um, so you felt as if you were a little bit, you you were worth more
1: yeah, than just the average life. And plus, uh, I grew up in foster care and a lot of, uh, when I aged out of foster care, I was still involved with some of like the the programs and I remember them telling me when I was like, Oh yeah, I'm doing comedy now I was like, Oh, okay, well that's a good hobby. You know, a lot of people don't make it. Those are the same people who go, I'm so proud of you Right. It was like yeah, thank you for trying to put that seed of doubt in my mind.
0: I'll never forget. I was in <laughs> high school. I went to Pacelli High School in Stevens Point, Wisconsin. I had one teacher who just banged it over our heads every single day. He would always discuss uh, the show Friends, and he would mm-hmm. always be like, you guys want to move to New York? You watch that show Friends? That's a TV show. It's impossible to live in New York. And I'm like, nine million people do it. Yeah. And a lot of them are extremely stupid. Yeah, I think I can handle it. Yeah. You mentioned foster care. It's funny. I've been a foster brother since I was uh, 12 years old. My mother did foster care. She was the foster mother of the year in Portage County, uh, Wisconsin. My youngest foster brother who got when he was two is mm-hmm. now 22. And it's unbelievable. We're still very close. His name is Michael. Uh, when did you first get put into foster care? And uh, I want to I want to hear a little bit about that experience. And I also want to discuss your thoughts on the institution of foster care and how flawed it is in many ways
1: i got i went into foster care i think at the age of seven Uh, so you
0: were young enough uh to um you were old enough to have experienced a life pre-foster
1: care yeah but even that life was like very chaotic it was just like my mom and dad they were still together at the time my mom and dad arguing and my dad i think he got arrested for a couple things he awol from the military Okay, uh, and then he started selling drugs and stuff like that, so he went to prison for a very long time. Mom addicted to drugs, and then like my family, they weren't really close like that. Right. so it was already chaotic, but when I went in there foster care, it was up and down. like I had some great experiences and then some super poor experiences. And I think it's flawed because— uh, Well,
0: what was the first—so you were seven years old. They mm-hmm. come in, and, you know, um, my mother originally, my family, we did emergency foster care. So we would yeah. you know, we would get a phone call at, like, 3 o'clock in the morning, and they had just plucked a child out of the home.
1: <laughs> I like how um, you said plucked.
0: That's what they—I mean, they literally—they break down the door. The, the mother is uh, told to sit there. They're either arresting the, the, the man or, or, uh, or he's already been arrested. Yeah. And then they take these children, and they would bring them to our house. I was in
1: a couple of emergency foster care places. Uh, Do you remember at seven years
0: old, though, when they came in and they grabbed you and you're like, what the hell is happening? No,
1: this is how this happened. So, uh, before foster care, my mom was in a, a women and child program, which is like a shelter or something like that. But I believe my mom got kicked out because she was like, she was non compliant and she didn't want to follow the rules of the program. So then uh, she dropped me off at my great grandmother's house. And then from there, I think my great grandmother came to like was like I'm too old for this so right. putting me in my sister in foster care it wasn't like them busting down the door just okay. like she told me like all right you gotta go you know yeah so the being ushered I was ushered into her. I wasn't just like snatched and put into a, a home but my very first foster home I was living with this lady named I think her name was Miss Blackwell okay she was super old she was like at the time I think she was like 70 something oh my god yeah she had a son that was in the military, Military. her daughter uh, lived, her daughter didn't live at home, but her daughter didn't live too far, and she was a, a widow. Okay. So, yeah, and it was just me and her, now this is where it's flawed, that was very mismatched in a, the beginning. Was she a nice woman anyway? Or she was, was she a, a nice bit, woman, but yeah. I'm a seven-year-old kid, right. that's like giving her a puppy. Like, right, right, guy, right. I'm bouncing off the walls. Right. I don't understand what the hell is going on. Yeah. So that automatic, my behavior is looked at as, like, oh, he's misbehaving. Right. She's like, no, I'm not misbehaving. You got me with somebody who doesn't have the energy right. to deal with what I'm going through. Like, you, I just got thrown into the situation. Right. So, of course, I'm like, I never, like, fought her or anything like that, but I had a lot more energy than she than she would have liked. Right. So then I got taken out of that because they was like, oh, he's a problem kid. And I was right. like, no, you're just an idiot.
0: I got that the entire time growing up as well. I was always in and out of therapy, and mm-hmm. uh, I made a lot of those people cry, and I was constantly getting kicked out of school. I was kicked out of kindergarten, Mrs. Van Order. Still <laughs> the worst teacher I ever had, and I hate you, Mrs. Van Order. But, of course, Mrs. Blackwell, she can't handle a 7-year-old kid, especially one who is uh, obviously going through some major emotional turmoil yeah. and living in... Com- complete chaos without any stability whatsoever mrs blackwell should have hoarded cats what was something. she thinking doing foster care
1: i don't know i have no idea i think she didn't want to be lonely but i'm like should have got a dog yeah or should just go a-
0: go out to the vfw and find a man
1: yeah something freaking. i'm seven <laughs> yeah so from there i went to a group i went to a through a series of group homes because when you're labeled a problem kid, right. they go, uh, well, we don't know if we can deal with them, so let's put them in a group home. So I was in a bunch of different group homes. I was in this place called Madisonville, and those are all like in like Scranton, PA.
0: Why did these names all sound like places where um, horror movies should be taking place? Madisonville but sounds it actually, awful.
1: It, I think it that was a terrifying place. The kids yeah. were nice, but it was like it was smack dab in the woods. Ugh. You, It's like 180 acres Right. Yeah.
0: And how many kids were in Madisonville when you first got there?
1: I don't even know, maybe like 150. And you
0: were just and they were all deemed problem children. And I was
1: older. I was the, I mean, I was the youngest one. Good god. Yeah, I was the youngest kid there.
0: So at this point going back to talk about size at 7, were you a little bit larger than the average 7-year-old anyway? No,
1: I didn't shoot up until uh 11th grade. Really? I literally was uh the skinny kid. And in 11th grade I got fat, super <laughs> fat. And then just stretched out. It was it was it was crazy. Right. I didn't stop growing until like 21.
0: That's so funny. I shot yeah. up my eighth grade year to freshman year. I I was I went into eighth grade year at five ten. By the time my freshman year of high school came around, I was six foot seven, and I swear to God, I had three pubes. The head, my <laughs> head looked like uh, looked like Don Rickles' head does now, <laughs> just three sporadic hairs, kind of picking up. You are like, hey, can we come out now? The- <laughs> it was pathetic.
1: Yeah, I shot up over the summer. Literally, people. I remember like. Uh, Hanging out with people like before the school year ended, and they and them being taller than me, and then came back and they were like, "What the fuck happened?" Right. <laughs> just shot up. I think by eleventh grade I was like six one, and then I just kept growing year after that. Yeah, yeah. I uh, thought I was going to at least grow to be six seven. I thought it. Is you almost because got because I didn't there. stop growing until twenty one.
0: Six five is a great height to be. It's much better than six seven. I'm literally. People have taken pictures of me on the subway because they think I'm a hairless Yeti. It is absolutely (laughs) awful. Those two inches are not uh, wonderful. You should be lucky to be 6'5". I want to be be lucky.
1: I think 6'2 is ideal. I always said 6'3". Yeah, 6'2",
0: 6'3 is perfect.
1: It's perfect because you can still get on roller coasters. Right. You can still fit on public transportation without having your head touch stuff and people taking up too much space.
0: Oh, it's unbelievable. Yeah, Yeah, you're right. 6'2", 6'3", that is absolutely perfect. So you're yeah. just a small kid. You're seven. You're in a, you're in the terrifying call me place, Madisonville.
1: Little mini, because I was that. Because I was also they put you on medicine. You cannot be in the group home right. and not be on medicine. So I think the medicine stunted my growth, so mm. that I was literally I looked malnourished for a while for years. I literally they used to call me skinny mini. That's all they called me because I was like super bony, right, and short.
0: Well, because I would assume you were on ADHD medication, which of is it's just a speed. So you don't want to eat. I mean, you're living like you're you're living like a you know a struggling artist in in his mid 40s in the East Village, but you're seven years old trying exactly. to make it through Madisonville.
1: Yes, right. So you're on this medicine. They get mad because you don't eat, but you don't have an appetite. You're right. like, I, you just shot me up with a bunch of pills. So then that also was a problem because then they go, well, he doesn't want to take his uh, he doesn't want to eat. So now, and I was that kid that, and you know, when you don't eat, they put you on a certain program and stuff like that, so you gotta, they gotta have staff watch you eat. You gotta have an hour, there's like when people, so I had to sit at a table with staff, and the staff made me eat.
0: And you know, I don't know if you're like me, but I personally, the way that I like to eat is pantless no pants involved <laughs> and i want i don't even you know i want to put on a specific shirt that has yesterday's dinner still stained on it <laughs> and i just want to pig out i don't want anyone to look at me nobody should watch me eat i, mm-hmm. I hate eating in public <laughs> i just want to be the most disgusting neanderthal animal possible and as a seven-year-old you're just sitting there and people are staring at you being like
1: hmm? yeah the eat this eating pierogies i mean all that gross stuff <laughs> pierogies you know how many i was dead tired of salisbury steak for a while oh my that's god that's all it was was salisbury steak pierogies right. and chicken nuggets with those
0: fake grill marks i know you didn't grill this I thing it you, was in a
1: microwave where the hell is this grill at? <laughs> where the hell
0: is this goddamn grill right. where's the chef i yeah. want to
1: meet the person that puts these grill marks on the goddamn salisbury steak right
0: we'll just find the person with the black paintbrush <laughs> he's
1: just, it's just like yep. yep yep that'll be a funny little sketch we meet the guy who puts right. the the grill marks on the encore's dinners the madisonville uh, yeah. chef aka
0: <laughs> painter so the uh, the mood there it doesn't sound like they were
1: very warm at all no not at all because uh this was i th- there's a lot of how can i say uh logical fallacies in the system where people they don't they don't have any logic when it comes to dealing with these kids. You're plucking these kids out of situations they don't understand, right? And then when they act, when they when they revolt, then you restre- you, go you go back and forth with that behavior with either medicine or physical like treatment. Right. So if the kid was. Like, if you're a problem child, he's fighting, they'll restrain him, and then they'll put him on medicine. And then that doesn't make them want to calm down. That makes them want to go, no, fuck that. I got to beat you now. Right. You know?
0: I mean, my my personal experience growing up, uh, you know, being medicated as well, it would just slowly drive you insane because you didn't really have the— capability to to speak. It it kind of stopped you from lashing out. But you mm-hmm. had this internal struggle going on in your mind where you just want to freak out. And that's when when the drugs start to kinda of wear off throughout the day, you have that moment where you just like snap. Because you're like ah and, and you're like, oh, band. he
1: needs his medicine. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Like a rubber band.
1: I'm very uh I'm dealing with that now where it's just like um I'm finally now that I'm an adult, I'm finally starting to feel like I have control. But right. the thing you learned as an adult that they never taught you as a kid You never have control. You never, the only thing you control is you. You don't control anything else around you. Right. You know, and I never, so being in a situation where someone always controlled me, my behaviors, my surroundings, everything, and now that I'm an adult, you want to gain that control, but you're like, I can't. I can't control that. So I would be, I used to be angry for a long time. And people don't know people didn't know that because I'm like still a nice guy, but inside my head I'm like fucking angry. I'll snap for no reason. Right. But I never like snapped outlash. I'll just snap in my head, like, what the fuck? Blah blah blah. And people right. who knew me knew they knew when I was angry.
0: It seems like they're almost I mean, with this in sort of institutionalized, you know, childhood, it seems as if um the idea of a prison life, it, it seems like almost a rational extension. Do you oh, feel yeah, like that's yeah, yeah. one of the flaws in the system where they institutionalized you? It you needed hugs, you needed love, you yeah. needed understanding and sympathy, and they put you in a situation where it's pretty much instead of preschool, pre-prison.
1: Yes, exactly. And that's been my life since nat- and since I was able until I graduated high school, uh, you're in these situation. You're in this group home, and then from the group home, you go back in the foster care. But then I had to go to pi- uh, public schools and shitty neighborhoods. These schools, they have metal detectors, right. they have police officers, and stuff like that, bars in the window. So you're literally leaving one situation and going to the same exact situation, but they say, oh, no, you're you're one of us now, and you're a citizen. Right. You're back in the normal society. But if that's society, that fucking stinks. Right. You know? So uh,
0: after Madisonville, then you went to,
1: uh, I, to
0: a family house. No, after Madisonville,
1: I went to this place called Friendship House where that's also in Scranton. I was there with my sister because she okay. was there. Uh, I used to get in a lot of fights there because that's all it is, is just a bunch of kids testing each other.
0: Oh, it's not its not full of friendship and love? No. It's At the, the friendship fu- house? I'm, the I'm, sh- I'm
1: shocked. Friendship house is where I got in the most <laughs> fights. I fought so much there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, weird.
0: you had to, uh, to just survive.
1: It was like you just wake up and you fight. You wake up and you go, oh, time to do this. Right, time to punch somebody in the face. Right, yeah.
0: So at at uh, Friendship House, was it less of a? Did they did they give you the same amount of drugs? Was it a little bit more? Was it a slightly I more think warm? The, I
1: think it went up. I think my uh, my drug intake. I'm surprised that I'm not addicted to drugs. I'm shocked. I me mean, too. <laughs> I'm
0: addicted to drugs. Are you? Oh, I can't get enough of them.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm not. Like, I do nothing. <laughs> I eat weed brownies occasionally, but that's just because I love brownies. It has nothing to do with the <laughs> marijuana. Brownies are fucking delicious. <laughs> but they put me on, uh, so. I have a bit I have a bit that I was always trying to work out so they put me on ADHD medicine right but that makes you depressed so then they put me on antidepressants and then they had to balance that out with uh like some sort of medicine that kind of like brings you up a little bit mm-hmm. at the age of like 12 I was taking four pills at one fucking time right and then I and then one of the side effects made me it like you pee to bed. So Mm. then I had to fucking take nasal spray. So I literally was on four medicines and a nasal spray.
0: It's insane. And all you needed was just, I don't know, somebody to care for you. Somebody to go,
1: look, it's all right. Your mom, she got to get her shit together. I got you back. No one does that. Right. You know?
0: No, no. Let's let's treat him the way that Joaquin Phoenix treated him, or uh, River Phoenix treated himself, Uh and hopefully he doesn't die in the gutter somewhere.
1: Uh, But that's the statistic. They put you up with all they fill you up with all these medicines, and and these people who just are there for a job, yeah. and then they expect you to still be like a, a citizen, like a functioning member of society.
0: I mean, the fact that you were able to do it, and I can't wait to talk to you more about it, is absolutely amazing, and that's a testament to yourself being unbelievably intelligent, strong, and a good person in general because you, you were set up to fail. There's y- no yeah. doubt about that.
1: Yes. I was talking, you know Ian? Ian Finance. I don't my, know. Oh, he's a comic. one of my best friends. Okay. We talk about just that this type of stuff all the time and we talked about bad luck string of bad luck and i think my string of bad luck happened happened in my young adult years right cuz it's like now it feels like everything is on the up and up now right you know
0: um Throughout these years, did you um, ever get to go back and live with your mother? I know my my um, experience with foster care, oftentimes, for example, my younger foster brother, he got to go back to live with his mother. His mother uh, continued what she was doing, and then he, he had to come back. Did you get, ever get to go back and reconnect, or was it just totally Yeah, I got off?
1: a chance to go back and reconnect, but— uh, And how old were you when that happened? Sixteen. Okay. But— this would happen. My mom, she got remarried, and she was with my stepdad at the time, who is a great guy, but now they're divorced. He was a great guy. He adopted my younger sister, and uh, my other sister was living with them, so I was supposed to go back and live with him. I went for a weekend visit. Mind you, I don't really have, like, a great relationship with my mom. I don't know him. So uh, I guess my sister had, like, a party over the house or something like that. I wasn't there and they broke the door, but when I came back, I was automatically the blame right. of that. Like, they were like, well, you broke the door because this is the story. The story was that her friend was over, and you were trying to hit on her friend, and you were being fresh and blah, 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 and then me and him got in a physical fight, and I was like, I'm not living here.
0: Was any of that story true?
1: What, did me getting in a fight with her? Yeah. No. I right. mean, me getting it, never.
0: So it seems like another situation where you were scapegoated and-, and uh... And, and railroaded
1: yeah and i was like at at the ages i was very conscious of stuff and i was like god this scene this doesn't seem like the life for me
0: was were you conscious of um first of all the fact that you know you were uh you know a foster child uh, you really I, I mean at that point you're a ward of the state yeah. um which by definition is um it's dehumanizing
1: yeah you you're know? not a you're, you're you're somebody else's property you're the state's property right so and people don't understand This, you automatically have a record. When you're awarded a a state, they're in charge of you. Uh, They can do whatever they feel the need to. And I realized how shitty that situation was when I got in a fight in high school. And I had a keychain, little keychain knife, like literally this big. Got in a fight in high school. uh, Not even a big fight. They found out that I was a foster kid. They took me to the holding cell, and then all this paperwork started, and it was like, "Oh, he's a ward of the court, so we we don't we can't send him back home. We gotta uh, send him to. The, they was trying to send me to a juvenile detention center. Literally that day, right of the fight. What yeah. and
0: when, when, what was the ramifications for the other kid who was in the fight with? Nothing, him? nothing,
1: nothing. He got suspended, came back to school. So this is what happened and this is why I go. Uh some people aren't that bad. My foster mom at the time, she was also a widow. Her ex uh, her dead husband worked for like I think like the thirty fifth district police station. He was like high up. She went right in there and she was like they all knew her. She was like, Get him out of there. Uh he doesn't belong here. He got in a fight. Where's the other guy at? Why not y'all treating the other guy like that? Blah, right. blah, blah. She took me to The next day was like, well, he got a court hearing, blah, blah, blah. She took me to court. She was like, we're getting this expunged. I. Did. She got my record expunged. Um, once I turned, like, 18, they disappeared. They never went there. I never got arrested again. What was her name? Her name was Miss White.
0: Miss White. Unbelievable. She's yeah. a hero.
1: She's a goddamn hero. She saved right. my life because they were just ready to throw me back in the system because right. they're going, Oh, well, he's the foster kid. He's the problem child, you know?
0: And this all starts because you were seven years old and a victim of abuse at your home.
1: Exactly. You're the
0: victim, and it's a vicious cycle, and they just refuse to recognize that at all.
1: Exactly. Right. Yeah.
0: And so was Mrs. White, um, was she the best foster parent that you had?
1: She had her her issues, but she definitely, uh, she was good. She was good, you know? She had adopted two younger uh, kids. So I was rarely in the house like at that time I already made friends. I was a part of like a after school program. so I was just I'll just come in the house to eat and then I'll be back at the house. I got it like job. a normal teenager yeah, like a normal yeah. teenager and she respected that. she gave me my space. uh this is the thing that uh kind of got me out of there. I broke her trust because I had I lost my virginity in that house okay. And I had my first girlfriend at the time, I think, um, I was probably 16 still. Very yeah. standard, yeah. Yeah. So I had a girlfriend at the time. Uh, she was getting. She liked my girlfriend. we come over at the house all the time. And one time we were like, she only has one TV in her whole house. That's how she does it. Mm. So if you watch TV, you're watching what she watches. What, what
0: did she love to watch?
1: Uh, she Guy liked code to watch code? the news. Oh, okay. <laughs> But at this time, this is when I got introduced to comedy. She loved watching Coming to the Stage. Oh, okay. So you remember yeah. that show? the yeah, yeah. BT version of uh, Last Comic Standing. She liked watching that show, so we used to watch that all the time. And she, I used to make her laugh all the time. She was like, you could probably do that. I right. never thought anything of it. She was like, you could probably do that. You could probably be one of them.
0: Was she the first person to say to you the, the words, you could probably?
1: Yeah. 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 She was like, she thought I should be an actor or something like that, though. She was like, if you really put your mind to it, she was like, you could be an actor. I can see you acting or doing something comedic.
0: Yeah. And
1: I was just like, yeah, okay. And I never really thought of that. And then when I graduated high school, all my friends were like, yo, you should be like, we used to, We got into Dave Chappelle, and yeah. they were like, yo, you could be like the next Dave Chappelle. And no one can ever be the next Dave Chappelle. <laughs> Right, yeah, yeah. Dave you Chappelle know? can't even be the next Dave he Chappelle. Can't next he can't be the, be the Dave current Chappelle. Dave Chappelle. Yeah. <laughs> just, <laughs> you know, but
0: just that small amount of encouragement. Do you feel like just planting that? Her planting that seed was the reason. You know, then other people obviously sort of pour some water on it when they when they follow up what she what her sentiment was, where you you should just do comedy.
1: Yeah, people who. So when did you find out that you were funny? I found out I stand up funny, like comedy no, just funny,
0: just just funny in a way to defuse a situation seventeen
1: that- 17 uh I made some girl cry in high school because I was happen. messing with her I was talking about her yeah and, and yeah yeah you know, it happens and she tried to get her brother to beat me up and somehow I made him laugh right and I was like oh I'm funny. I'm fucking funny. <laughs> yeah, you
0: you better be funny. That is not an easy audience to make. Yeah, Love. he wasn't even. It wasn't <laughs> even like
1: a situation where I was like, "I'm gonna beat your ass." It was like we were sitting somewhere, and I knew like he had beef with me or something like that. And I think we was in the lunchroom, and like I was making all my friends laugh, and he's like sat, and he was like, like adjacent. He was close, and then he came over. And then I said something, but I started cracking on him and started laughing. And then I was that guy that no one had a problem with. No one wanted to fight me. Even the fight that I got in afterwards, the guy was like, why did we fight? He's like, dude, you're right. funny as shit. Right. Yeah.
0: Thank God that Mrs. White got you out of that situation. That jerk off who knows that you're very funny, yeah. um, you know, who got away scot free.
1: Yeah, she's very she she helped me. I never told her that though. I never had an opportunity. I don't know. I don't even know if she's still in the same place or whatever.
0: Right. But yeah, she.
1: uh yeah.
0: Well, I'm sure she knows you're on television almost every single week. So, or if not every single week, yeah. so I'm sure she's seen you uh, and is very, very proud of all your success. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's for sure. So, what was it inside of you that that allowed you to keep on going? Because you know, with all this adversity, it's so much easier to just choose not like we were talking about um, at the beginning of the show. Uh, you know, exceptionalism and just yeah. feeling like you're better than the average person who has a car. And growing up, I had a very tumultuous childhood as well. Obviously, uh, different than yours. Everybody has their own stories. But it yeah. certainly wasn't. Uh, I would describe it as very chaotic as well. Yeah. Um, and so you sort of have to, you know, find it inside of yourself to almost hate, almost despise average people.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, there's a there's a mixture of things, man. The thing that kind of I was very, I was a very conscious child. Like at a, I don't want to say child, the teen. I was very conscious of uh, myself and my surroundings. And I used to take a lot of time to my, to be alone. All I I used to just take long walks and listen to music and stuff like that. But like during those walks, like I would literally walk. I don't know if you know. You ever been to Philly? I uh, no, I never have been. All right, so the distance. How can I say the distance? um just do it by like hot dogs me, it'll be like me walking from here to 125th street
0: all right so we're on we're on uh we're in penn station to 125th street okay. yeah
1: penn station 125th street so about what i do you used think? to walk
0: 100 blocks 100 yeah, blocks or so yeah, i right. used to
1: walk downtown from my house and just listen to music and like as i'm listening to music i'll walk through all types of neighborhoods and i would see i would see the really bad neighborhoods and i see the really good neighborhoods and i didn't want any part of either of those because it's the same it's the same cycle it was right. like everybody just accepted their role in life the thugs they accepted their role that no matter how hard or they tried or how they felt inside that that was the role that was the role that was given to them by mm. society and it was like this is my situation right mm. and then the people who are fortunate Enough to not be in that situation. They fell into roles as well, if not by society, by their parents. Where to go? This is what I have to do for myself. Right. And I was, and then having, we always have like guest speakers come to our fucking schools or after school programs and they're supposed to be like you can be whatever you want in life but it was always the same shit to pick from you can be a doctor you can be a lawyer you can be a teacher if not you can be a garbage man they make x amount of money and blah 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 and i was like i don't want to be any of that shit and
0: i certainly don't want to be a crappy motivational speaker either Uh, so i you've pretty much left me with no options yeah the people that we used to come to speak to my school they would always uh Basically, they all just got into a DUI accident and murdered somebody, and yeah. they were there because the police forced them to come and talk <laughs> to us, and they were currently blind because they were dipshits and ran into a tree drunk. Yeah,
1: right. and that's it, and I got tired of hearing the same exact stories, but from different people, and I was just like, I want to I wanna do something out of the norm for myself, right. and when I found out about comedy, I was like, oh, I'm going to do that, and then one of my friends who, she passed away, I found out she passed away two years ago, but I found out she passed away like a couple months ago, like, I didn't find out that she passed away until a couple months ago, but that was two years ago when she passed away. Right. But she's the one that got me serious about comedy. I used to work in Dave & Buster's, I was uh, 20 at the time, and, no, not even 20, I was like 21. I was just about to start doing it. I used to make her laugh all the time, and she was like, "You better start doing stand-up comedy." What was comedy. her name? Her name was Tiffany Glover. Tiffany Glover. Yeah, another was, hero. Mm-hmm. She was like, "You better start doing comedy." And I would go, and it was like her, my friend Wes Gill, and they would like go to open mics with me, and I would bomb and suck, and they were like, "That stunk," but you could probably do better than that. They didn't right. go. That was good. They be like, "Ugh, that was awful." But hey, this guy's awful too.
0: So, going back to the childhood that was unbelievably tumultuous and you were constantly told that you couldn't, but you would, uh, you know, regularly exceed expectations and uh, and prove people wrong. When you actually go on stage and you bomb, you're like, this is the 150th worst thing that's happened to me. It doesn't even matter at this point. I've been abused my entire life or, you know, uh, put in positions where I wasn't supposed to succeed and I succeeded. So, a bomb and an open mic, at the end of the day, who gives a shit? Who
1: gives a shit? And, you know, and. And sometimes you forget that. We forget right. where we came from. And I remember when I first started doing Last Comic, my mentor Keith Robinson, I was like nervous. I was like, yo oh, man, I'm, uh, I'm fucking nervous. He was like, why are you nervous? I'm like, because what if this goes bad? And he goes, you do understand this is the easiest thing you've ever had to do in your life. <laughs> I go, huh? He goes, motherfucker, like you? Because I used to like bounce around home to home. I had gotten fights from my foster dads. I've slept on cots. I've had to like, uh, like, like certain foster parents, like they, they didn't want you in the house by yourself. So if they work late, I'll just walk the streets until they got home. Mm. So it was a lot of shit I had to do. And he was like, this is the easiest thing you ever done. And when you have that in the back of your head, you go up there, you go, fuck it. Right. And, and, uh, yeah, and that helped me out a lot.
0: You know, it's interesting. You mentioned, you know, Uh, My mother was a wonderful uh, foster mother And I think we were a fairly good foster home At least I I hope that we were Mm -hmm. And I hope the kids have good fond memories of it But um, you're monetized You're literally a commodity, uh, because foster parents get paid to take you in by the state, Mm -hmm. and a lot of these people um, do do it for the cash reward. Yeah, and they don't do it because they love, and they don't do it because they have open hearts and open doors and uh, you know a spare bedroom. They want money.
1: They need money. They're like, what? How can I make money? I don't want to. I don't want to pick up hours at my job. Oh, this foster care thing, you know. Right. The fucked up thing is they give you like I had a lot of foster parents keeping the stipends that they gave me for clothes and stuff and just making me wear hand-me-downs.
0: So did you and so at a young age did you realize that that you I were actual really, you were a commodity?
1: I realized that and I think that's where the uh the the bad behavior comes from too cuz you're right. like you don't give a fuck. So why are you acting like you care? Like I know what you do, you right. know? And like, they're I, also
0: I, getting paid. So it's sort of like, you know, if you're at a if you're in a restaurant and a waitress is being very mean to you or a waiter, you're like, I, you're getting paid to be here. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, why are you being a jerk off?
1: Yeah. I had a foster uh, family that was like, they. he was a preacher. I forgot his last name. His name was like Curtis, something like that. But I forgot his last name. And this is when I realized that uh, the whole situation with the money and stuff like that. So they would get a check from me and then they would get a clothes stipend from me for me too, and I didn't realize that until one of the kids was like, there was like one kid who I was cool with who was a fo- who was in a foster home who was cool with the family that I was living with, Yeah, and he was always fucking fresh and dope and like always had like nice clothes and stuff like that, but he also lived with like a single parent young mom, I think their mom was like, she was like 23, and she had a foster kid, and she, and I was like, how are you always getting new stuff, and it was like. Oh, they they give her money to give me to get clothes, to take me shopping, and they give it to her every two weeks. And then she she takes me shopping, and like, that's what they do together. Because right. she's a young mom. She likes shopping. And he was like, uh, at the time I was living with this family, I was maybe like 13, 14.
0: This hypocritical pastor who was pocketing all the cash.
1: You know what he used to do? He used to take me to go to a flea market and get my clothes so he can buy dirt cheap clothes. And he was building his basement. So he had a fully furnished basement with a bar, uh, old school video games, all that stuff. How do and you That's have, what I was saying. Like, you don't make that much money as a preacher.
0: Right. You're making it off of me. Yeah.
1: Literally. Yeah.
0: How do you have any faith in humanity? How didn't you just completely lose it when you realize that these, the majority of these, would you say the majority of the foster families that you lived with were, pieces were scumbags? Shit. You think yes,
1: so? Yes. I can say that with confidence. They're pieces of shit and they know it. You yeah. Know? And uh, the way I have faith in humanity because me, I know there's people out there like me who aren't gonna be victims. Who no matter the situation, they're not gonna be victimized. Because right. that I, I look at playing the role of victim as weakness. You know, mm-hmm. no matter the situation I'm going through, I will figure out how to not be the victim. I'm like, I don't want to be the victim. I don't want people to feel sorry for me. Whenever I, even when I talk about foster care, people go, oh, I don't fucking feel sorry for me. Right. I'm doing better than most people who were more fortunate than me. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Right. Did, um, were you, did you feel as if there was uh, racial components? I mean, obviously there's racial components to everything, but did you feel as if, you know, being especially a larger dude, um, a larger black dude. Did you feel as if maybe that led to people's idea that uh, you're more intimidating? You're more um, some.
1: You're more of a problem child. See, but that's the thing. Like, uh, I never lived with a white family. I never had white friends, like until I started comedy. Like, I I lived mm. with white people in group homes, and they were cool. There was no real racism there because we all looked at her we all understood that we're in the same exact situation because like you know either our parents or our behavior so there wasn't really any like uh racism but i didn't make white friends until until yeah i started doing comedy and that's why
0: you know comedy and entertainment is the absolute best specifically stand-up comedy Mm -hmm. because At the end of the day, all stand up comedians have a very, very similar motivation, and that's to make people laugh. Yeah. And that has to come from a place of love. Even a comedian such as a Nick DiPaolo, a Nick DiPaolo type, who is a very conservative comedian. He's funny as shit. Uh, I like him. Yeah, he's a
1: nice dude, too. Right.
0: On, on, On its base, if you would read the. Dialogue of you know what he's saying on stage, you'd be like, this guy seems seems like hate speech. Yeah, uh, but then you see him perform it, and you're like, oh, I get it. It's extremely okay. funny, and yeah. he, the way that he has his point of view. But you know, um, that is one of the greatest things about comedy, specifically again, stand up comedy. Yeah, where it just brings everybody together, and everybody has the exact same stories of bombing and succeeding. Yeah, you know, everybody is sort of at a level playing field, and that's why you have a Dave Chappelle type who is, I think, incredibly humble in, in his own way because he knows, like, it's still impossible. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's Jerry Seinfeld, Uh, you know, he was discussing way, way back in that movie Comedian. I think it was, like, 2001. But, you know, just getting heckled. He had the number one television show, the, the, the number one comedy in the history of television, and he's still getting heckled.
1: Yeah, you no, know, people, yeah, I don't know. I heard a rumor, though, that that was the sister that heckled him.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. I've also heard a rumor that Jerry Seinfeld has the biggest wang in showbiz. Massive. Mike? I can confirm it. You sucked it? Uh, a couple times. All yeah. right.
1: <laughs> in showbiz? I don't know. I've heard it.
0: I've heard it. <laughs> Who would believe it? I don't know. Well, at least the largest wang in comedy, which makes it about four and a half inches, bro. <laughs> Something like that. Judging solely on my own experience. So you were able to keep faith and keep humanity and keep yourself being
1: nice. Yeah, you be nice because you want – the thing is everybody wants respect, but people mm-hmm. don't know how to gain respect. You know, a lot of people, they go – a lot of fights and all that shit. A lot of people are in prison, and if you ask them why they're in prison, they go, yeah, because some motherfucker disrespected me. Well, right. where? how were you trying to get his respect? You're trying to get his respect by intimidating him, by making him afraid of you? No. Fear and respect are two different things, and I never Mm -hmm. want anybody to fear me. I want them to respect me. In order for them to respect me, I have to respect them. Right. You know? And that's why I'm nice because I'm like, if I'm nice to you, then you're going to be nice to me. But even if I'm nice to you and you're still mean to me, then I don't have to deal with you.
0: Right. You know? Right. Was the was the high school that you ended up going to was it a violent uh, high school?
1: Uh the year it wasn't that violent but the year before somebody got shot. Like literally uh yeah, somebody got shot right outside the school and that was like a big thing and then people like bring guns and stuff to school, but uh when I was there I have never I don't think I've ever seen anybody get shot. I've seen a lot of people get jumped and beat up, but yeah. that's just high school.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you in know. Wisconsin, it was more like eating competitions and uh, how far could your fart go? Mm. Um, and turns out I could fill an entire hallway. I was Jesus crushing Christ. the fart game. Don't even bother talking God to me about damn, it.
1: Goddamn, nah. Different place. Not ours. Not ours. It's just, yeah. <laughs> who's, going, who's going to get beat up after school? And that's so, what it was. Yeah. Oh, I see. It was so, still ranked probably one of the worst high schools in Philadelphia. Right. Yeah, but, you know. It all depends. on Your high school experience is all about what you decide to, like, like get yourself into. I never, like, it could have been more dangerous if I decided to, like, sell drugs and all that shit. I don't assume there were some
0: people in, like, youthful gangs, you know. Doing, I don't doing know. Doing all that stuff. I don't know. Wisconsin was nothing but, uh, you know, the redneck gangs. They were very aggressive people. They loved to chew tobacco, and they would bring guns to school as well until Columbine happened, and then they could no longer do that. Damn. They bring hunting rifles because they're lunatics. Jesus Christ! Uh, but that's a whole other, that's a whole other story. It doesn't matter. Um. So after you graduated from uh, after you graduated high school, you did you did manage to go to college?
1: Yeah, I went to community college because that's I don't believe to. in I don't believe in the promise of post secondary education. Right. I don't believe in it. I feel like wait, if everyone can do it, then it must not be worth that much. <laughs> College before used to be a place where, you know, bright minds went. Right. And now it's just a place where if you can afford it, hey, we're gonna we'll let you in. You know? Right. And I knew I was like one well, my I had a friend who wasn't that smart and he went he got accepted to uh what is it, University of Virginia? Oh, yeah. Which isn't a great school it's but good. it's not a ter- it's not you know It's a
0: national school. They got a, a football team, school. that's all I know.
1: I know from a fact, from talking to him, that he's not bright. <laughs> he never, he's never got an A on anything. Maybe a, not even a B minus. Yeah. But he could afford it, and I was like, "I'm not, uh, I'm not going to do that shit." He dropped out because it proved that it wasn't for him. Yeah. But they still got a shitload of his money and his parents' savings.
0: What advice do you give to people who are doing, going through similar things that you went through as a child right now who are, you know, um, because you're right. I I love your approach on victimhood. It is a a self-fulfilling prophecy and it's something, it's a title that you put upon yourself. That's what we live in.
1: We live in an era where everyone wants to be the victim now. Right. Everyone, you think about how much shit that's going on and how vocal people are. Everyone wants a fucking hero. Every time you turn on the news, you people are angry at somebody because they said this and they feel like they should represent this group of people or blah, blah, blah. And they go, he's, be your own hero. Don't look mm. for somebody else to be a hero. And I feel like that's why people are angry at Obama for a while. That's why his approval rate went down because – they that was somebody who they can relate to, and every and he was everyone's hero. And then he didn't live up to that. They got fucking angry. Black people thought he was going to be their hero because he can speak up for black people, and because he was black, gay people were like, oh, okay, well, this is somebody who went through adversity. He understands the struggle. And then he, they wanted the hero. Everybody white people were to, like,
0: we're not going to be perceived as racist anymore. Yeah, we yeah.
1: voted, so we're not going to be racist. It was right, like right. everyone wants a fucking hero. Everyone, we're everyone's a fucking victim because. We pat everybody on the back. Even losers get a fucking pat on the back and a, a ribbon or a certificate for showing up. Right. And we're breeding that. And I and my advice and I try to tell my sisters all the time, I go, don't just don't look for a handout. Don't look for somebody to feel sorry for you. Because that's just that's not gonna make you feel better about yourself mm. because regardless of how sorry they feel for you, you're gonna be in the same exact position when that feeling wears off when they're when that feeling of you know what i feel really bad for this person whereas i have to go okay never mind and you're still in the same exact position work for what you want and fucking just respect people right Uh. i love it man but it's a yeah it's annoying how i watch the news and i watch people and i'm just like why are you so soft
0: because they didn't go through anything as a child you know yeah. that's amazing uh thank you so much monroe martin everybody and uh you can find you you're on twitter i'm on twitter uh when
1: you said this comes out next monday it'll
0: come out next monday yeah
1: okay yeah well this would be done di- i'm doing a tonight show next week oh awesome so that'll be whoa that'll air friday so this air monday perfect so yeah watch it watch the tonight show i went i think shopping. it's th- thanks for watching the thank tonight you show. for <laughs> watching the tonight show <laughs> Thank you for DVRing it. I just don't want a bomb. That's my thing. I like my set got approved. They like it now. I'm, I got nerves that set in. Yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. My friend's like, "What the fuck are you nervous for? Like, you already got it, right? You got it. It's not like you're trying to get it. They gave it to you, right? So now, I'm awesome like, man, go watch it. I'm well, gonna can be sharp.
0: Congratulations on all your success and uh, you're going to have a lot more success in the future and you certainly earned it and you definitely deserve it and you're an inspiration to millions and millions of people, dare I say nearly 7 billion, which is everybody in the world. All right. Thank you. Uh, Mike Coscarelli, you can find Mike on Twitter at Mike Coscarelli. And, of course, he also has the podcast station coming up and going. How's that going? I think it's going by now probably announced, I think. Oh, but wonderful. Who knows? All right. <laughs> and, of course, listen to Mike Coscarelli's podcast, Social Villains. And you can listen to me on Cave Comedy Radio at and, uh, on Abeligan's Top Hat, the Roundtable of Gentlemen, and the last podcast on the left. And, of course, follow me on Twitter at Ben Kissel. All right, everyone, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon.
1: Yeah.